and this is the StashMyComics.com podcast. We're at, what, episode 30 now, Tim? Episode 30, that's right. And what's been going on with you this last week? Uh, since the last uh, podcast we did, uh, my dad's come down uh, from Michigan. Uh, he's on his way to Florida. He's turning into a snowbird. So, but uh, he came down the, yeah. Not for him, very warm for him. <laughs> He's leaving all the snow. But uh, uh, he came down the same time that uh, we had my son's third birthday, uh, which was this past Saturday. Got him Power Rangers toys, got him the uh, uh, the the water enlarging Ninja Turtles, those those cheap little toys that you put in water overnight yeah, and they're supposed yeah. to saturate yeah, and, and grow. Well, uh, the Donatello and the Raphael that uh, my dad got him, either didn't want to or couldn't, so they... But, kind but of stayed Leo and Mikey were good, or...? No, we didn't get those. Huh. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, aside from that, I mean, uh, he got... What else did he get? He got uh, the the whole Raphael get-up, got the bandana and the the two sides. He calls them his weapons. Nice. And, uh, yeah, he has to go everywhere with those now. You better watch out, the kid's gonna whoop you. Well, the dogs, I think, are more scared of it than, than the kids are, or I am. <laughs> but uh, but aside from that, uh, I just finished uh, a book that I was reading. It's called Vampire of the Mist. Uh, it's by Christy Golden. It's one of the Ravenloft books, if anybody's into D&D or anything like that. Um, but I highly recommend that. Uh, anybody that, that wants a good vampire gothic horror type book, uh, I strongly suggest checking that out. Uh, and I'm reading the second book in the in the whole series. Each book is like a standalone, and and the second book has to do with a guy called uh, Lord Soth. The book is called Night of the Black Rose, and Lord Soth comes from Kryn, which is in Dragonlance and stuff like that. If, if you're into all the role playing stuff, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. But uh, it's uh, the second time I've read the book. It's a really good book. Highly recommend checking it out. Uh, aside from that. I picked up uh, some new comics, too. Picked up uh, Punisher number three, which I haven't read yet. Uh, oh, the Punisher stuff is really good. I've been enjoying it. I, I After we talked about it, I you know I, I dug into it and got a, got the first couple issues on Comixology. I'm I'm really hooked on it. I, I really enjoy the the pace that they're taken with it. The the art direction looks really good. It's a little gritty, a uh, little real world, but uh, but still fantastic enough for me, I guess. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I'm ready to read issue number three. I picked up Magneto number one. Everybody's been talking about that. So I'm going to check that out and see what it is. Uh, See what that's all about. Uh, plus Moon Knight number one, which we'll talk about later on in the show. Yeah. Um, and that's about it. What have you been doing? Uh, last night, which which was Saturday night, and by the time this airs, this will no longer be a thing. But <laughs> Comicsology had their big Comicsology submit bundle for. 100 comics for 10 bucks, the grand totals for actual, if you actually bought each individual comic, be close to $400. Wow. But, it, you know, it's all the comics, because they're celebrating one year of their submit program, which is where indie creators can can get their book on comicsology, basically. So anybody that makes a book, 
uh, that's yeah. that's not produced by a by a company. Can, yes, I mean, you know, if you have an image book or whatever, it's already on Comicsology. But if you're just right, right. a guy who you know makes his book and takes it to cons, now you have a chance to be on Comicsology, submit the book, they review it, and you know, hopefully it gets on the site. That is really awesome. Yeah, and so they had their top 100 books for the for the year, all available for ten dollars, which was insane. Jeez, you, you can't beat that. I mean, like if you're into indie comics, like like we here at SMCR, I mean that's that's a virtual gold mine. And yeah, and so like I, I was thinking about it, and I was like, man, I want to review all of these, but I'll probably go insane before I do. <laughs> And so someone, Leo, I don't think we could put out enough articles in the week. And so someone suggested do like a sentence or two for each comic and just, you know, boom. And so <laughs> that that might be a feature here on the site in the near future. <laughs> like a hundred sentences, a hundred comics, the SME, the, you know, the comicology submit bundle. That wow. might be happening soon. <laughs> wow. I, I'm anxious to see that. <laughs> but the first one I read, Dead Horse. Mm-hmm. It's, oh my goodness! It was the the one that was on the bundle was the first volume for the, so the first six issues for ten cents, ten cents. Nice. And it it was wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Very kind of weird and funny and witty, but also there's a deep mystery to the story. And so I'm looking forward to what else I find digging through that bundle. Nice. Uh, the the indie scene for for me it's hit and miss. Um, I think I've been too oversaturated with the the superhero books, but uh, but those ones that you find that that are just mind blowing that that you're like, why is this not out there? Yeah, you know, those those are the ones that that get the most attention for me and that that get the word of mouth for me. It's like like with the guys that I play cards with on Thursday. We do, every Thursday we do uh, magic for, for five hours and then if we feel up to it we role play either World of Darkness or Dungeons and Dragons for, for three hours. Um, we'll talk comics like in, in between playing cards and stuff like that. And any new books that uh, that I read or like Dave for that matter. I mean I'm telling those guys you've got to read this. This is something you gotta check out. It's ninety nine cents. It's on comicsology. Why are you even <laughs> still sitting here playing cards? Go what go go read this book. So but uh to kind of change the subject a little bit, did you get a chance to watch the after yet? Yes, I did. I What'd watched that one say Friday afternoon. Oh, did you like it? I did. At first I was kinda I was kinda suspect because <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you've got the uh, the cop, the actress, the criminal, and all that, and they're trapped in the parking garage. And the first thing I thought of was like, man, this is this is probably going to be like a crappy take on that one Twilight Zone episode <laughs> where you have the soldier and the ballerina and the clown in that room, and they don't know where they are or how they got there. I was like, in no way. And so then it starts going from there. Yeah, it, it started so claustrophobic and then when uh, the actress was able to get out and then you just get a brief taste of what in the world is going on you know out of all the people that are in that show the one person that impressed me more than anything else was Jamie Kennedy who who is he the clown yeah he was the clown man that is oh my god he's got that 
Mr. Malibu's Most Wanted. He has got fat. <laughs> Maybe he did it for the role. I don't know, but he has got fat. Man, <laughs> I just never thought about that. I, I didn't even recognize him until you said something. Neither did I until toward the end of the show when he came out without his makeup on. And I was like, holy crap, check that out. Jamie Kennedy. But but the ending, that, I, I don't even know. Just that last, you know, 30 seconds. That completely changed? Yes, completely changed <sighs> his uh, perspective. And the, I mean, it just changes how you view the entire episode. Absolutely. That's that's the one of the the pilots that I want to see go to season. Yeah, I ended up watching a couple other pilots. I watched the one called uh oh, I don't even, I don't even remember what it's called now, but it's the one where the, it's the comedy the one. One is the one that I want to see. It's it's the comedy one about the uh, the woman who her husband dies and she inherits the pro football team from him. Oh yeah. Um, Crud, the rebels or something. Yeah, yeah, something. I mean, that was all right. I can see that being. You know, I mean, I, I could see that being a show. It was funny enough. <laughs> the, the the monkey all coked up and he had a revolver. That was I'm funny. I'm not gonna lie. Oh my god, the 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 Mozart one uh, that they have on there that that looks intriguing to me. That looks like something that I might want to check out. I did not watch that one, but I may have to. <laughs> I'll pick one tonight and. And look at it. But uh, also, I want to say three days ago, I got in my, I, I believe I talked about Undertow number one on the show a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And yeah. I, I bought a page of original art from the issue, and it came in a couple of days ago. And oh, so I'm, wow. I am insanely excited about that. <laughs> so it's now framed and on my wall right here in front of my desk. You're gonna to have to send me a picture of that so oh, yeah. we can put it up with the uh, with the podcast. Okay, I'll do it right now, actually. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, beyond all that, though, let's. You want to go ahead and dive into our news and our discussion? Yes. Discussion? Yes, absolutely. We've got a lot of things to talk about today. A lot. I think it's going to be a lot of differing opinions with our stuff. Probably. Um, I'll go ahead and go with the first uh, bit of news. Um, let's see here. It's it's something that they've been talking about for for a couple of days now, since since late late February. Uh, the image publisher Eric Stevenson uh, emphasizes direct market importance during the Comics Pro speech. Mm-hmm. Now, what uh, what Comics Pro is is that's where uh, all the companies get together. They talk about the industry, trade ideas. Uh, that sort of thing. It's like one big brainstorming session uh, for for the business guys, you know. But uh, they got together in Atlanta. Uh, it's a four-day event. Provides you know the retailers and publishers, like I said, with a forum to which they can communicate ideas, grow the business. And there's the picture you sent me. Um, but uh, the publisher Eric Stevenson, he got on stage and kind of went off the cuff a little bit uh, and talked about. The direct market, and and really uh, spent his entire speech talking about the impact that the big two have with a with with the market, like with the variant covers, the the fifteen mm-hmm. different 
uh, variant covers for an issue that has no significance other than to have buyer incentives. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it, it it floods the market with these books uh, that uh, that are overpriced, and uh, you can only get you can only get them if you meet a certain sales quota. So it it, it inflates the sale of the issue itself. Uh, while while having the variant issues out, and, and he went on and on about that uh, through most of his most of his speech, but uh, I found a lot of what he had to say really important, and and I found myself as as it went on, I found myself agreeing with him, you know, more and more, and he's he's talking about uh, not doing things simply to tie in with with the toys and the video games and the big blockbuster movies and and how you're kind of alienating uh, the the new readers from focusing on on other things now don't get me wrong i i am a superhero fan through and through if you see my wall that that i'm staring at right now from one end to the other it's batman spawn spider-man magic the gathering valiance harbingers exo man of war wolverine solar scarlet spider more magic a ton of spider-man aquaman <laughs> batman the zero-month poster, the death of Superman, I've got Hot Wheels hanging on the wall, Spider-Man action figures all over the place. I mean, I love superheroes. You know, I grew up with that stuff. And, and I'm a slave to the market, just like everybody else is. I buy the toys, I buy the posters, I buy the movies, I buy the video games. I have kids that love that stuff, and I love that stuff, you know? And... When, when he was talking about this is when I agreed with him. That that kind of stuff kind of takes precedence over everything. And, and you think that uh, when it comes to comic books, all there are are superhero books. Um, and, and that's totally not true. I mean, you, you have definitely shown me that. Uh, Jason Newcomb, uh, our friend on SMC, has shown me that. Uh, Chip, uh, a close friend of ours and uh, the you know, currently working on Metaphase uh, has has shown me that you guys are all heavy independent supporters. Yeah. Um, and uh, w- with that, I've been able to see different books, like uh, uh, Dave and uh, Sage Escape and uh, one that I was reading not too long ago uh, called Leftovers. And uh, that that is the best book that nobody's ever read. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm writing a review on issue number four. It'll be out next week, but uh, but I'm going to send you the other ones so you can take a look at them. It, it seriously is. Uh, but if I never took the time to look for it, like Stevenson implies, uh, I'd never have found it because I'd be stuck in the superhero world. With the superhero books, I'd, I'd be stuck there. They, they do oversaturate, and I'd have never seen... Uh, any of the other independent books. And, and quite frankly, some of the best stories that I ever read were independent comic books, you know? But uh, what what's your opinion on this? I, I definitely agree with his whole, you know, flooding the market and variant covers, just that variance and sales. And, you know, I, I agree with all that. That's spot on. 
Because, I mean, there, there's no reason, like, when D.C. had, had what, the 52 or the 50-state variant cover or whatever. I mean, that, <laughs> that, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. I even think the 3D covers are pushing it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, they're... They're cool, but... And sure, Image has variant covers, and they do inflate sales a little bit. Oh, yeah. But it's not to the extent of a lot of the big two. But they're still guilty of it a bit. But, but that's beyond the point. The one thing that I did have a little bit of contention with was when he he didn't say it exactly, but when he more or less implied that licensed comics are, are like a lesser form of comics. Yeah. Say, say again? Oh, uh, I, I disagree with, with what he said. I disagree yes. with that 100%. I, I disagree with that, too, because I mean, all you have to do is look at the Adventure Time comics, and those are some of the... I mean, they're, they're amazing, beautiful comics. They're perfect for... And they get young readers in the comics, which is exactly what you should be trying to do. Absolutely. I mean, I used to look at that Adventure Time or the, you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which are all... I mean, that that's kind of licensed at this point because it's a big departure from the early Turtles. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> you know, I mean... The licensed comics are great because you can get a seven-year-old into comics, and you can't do that with, you know, Chew or DMZ or Bat. You know, I mean, you can't do that with a lot of other titles. Well, sure. I mean, like, my, my three-year-old can tell you who every character is on my wall. Yes. But uh, but if you put a concrete issue in front of him, you know, the, the series from Dark Horse, he'd never know who that was. Um, because that's not something that he's exposed to. Stuff like that, you have to find, you know. And and that's to me, that's that's part of the joy of it. Is the superheroes are the gateway comics. They get you in, and you start reading them for a while. And uh, or like like the the Star Wars books, the the licensed books, like you're talking yeah. about Star Wars. Uh, and Dark Horse is a big proprietor of that, you know. Uh, Alien vs. Predator, uh, and and the list goes on and on and on. I mean, you you read those as an extension of the things you enjoy to begin with, and those are the hook. They they get you started, and then you venture out and you read other things. Yeah, and then leave. you know you you see that the artist on that book, that you know that Star Wars book that you read, he did this other book, and you read that book, you're like, hey, I like this, and then yeah. you know you. Find the other book that the writer of that second book did. Blah, 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 blah. And you, and you still love the stuff that got you started. You you, you spend 70% of your comic uh, money on that. But the other 30% is the new stuff that you're trying out, like the Daves and the Chews and the Concretes and... You know, things like that. Yeah, I mean, that, that was the only real point of contention was the fact that he kind of implied their lesser comics. Maybe he's a little bitter because his favorite show wasn't a comic book. That maybe so. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> yeah, but anyways, moving on. Let's get to the one that... Uh, that we really want to get into. Yes, the, the Kickstarter controversy has been all over the internet and even picked up by a couple of actual news outlets. Really? Yes. 
the 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 farthest into it I got was uh what was on Bleeding Cool. But but tell us what it's about. Give okay, us some so, uh, insight into this. So John Campbell, he's a webcomic creator, famous for or I wouldn't say famous, but known for uh Pictures for Sad Children, which is his webcomic that he updated, I want to say, for about 10 years. A very, very long time. Right. And back in 2012, he ran a Kickstarter to print a collected edition of some of his strips. He asked, asked, what's that? Oh, to to interject, if if people don't already know, to... uh, to do a Kickstarter, you do it with the intention of producing something to yes. give to the people that backed your project. It, it's sort of like a uh, very complicated pre-order system. Yeah. You you go Kickstarter, say, I want to make this, this is how much money I need, and then hopefully people give you that much or more. Right. And so Campbell went to Kickstarter, he was going to make a book, right? He was going to make a print a print collected edition of some of his comics. He wanted, I want to say, 8000 and he got, I want to say, over 50000 Yeah, he, he got well more than what he requested. To yes. And so now, cut to 2014, and there are backers. On, uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 25% of all the backers have not received their rewards yet. And then Campbell posts a video along with a very long wall of text, you know, sort of going deep. Abstract and yeah. off the wall and but bits he, and pieces of normalcy. <laughs> he, he posts this video of him that basically saying that he he's done, he's you know, he's he's done, he's ran out of money, he can't do it anymore. And that for, you know, and he won't be delivering any more, you know, Kickstarter backer rewards. And for every email, tweet, whatever that he gets asking where their stuff is at, he will burn another copy of the book. (laughs) And and then there's a video of actual books just burning in a dumpster in the alley behind his apartment. Oh, my God. And so, yeah, people are freaking out about that. Oh, b- before we go into uh, what uh, Paul Jenkins uh, okay. had to say about that, he, he's writing Deathmatch and Fairy Quest for Boom Studios. Uh, what are your thoughts on what he did? It's, uh, I mean, obviously that is not, I mean, that's not what you do if you've done a kick. That's not what you do. <laughs> but that. No. <laughs> I mean, the immediate reaction, obviously, when you hear that, is like, that's crazy. And, yeah, it probably is because there's been, you know, obviously I don't know this guy. I don't know his life or anything. But, you know, I've read things. I've heard things because I keep up with his comic somewhat, or I did before he took it all down and started burning his books. <laughs> but, and, and I mean, there's... He lost his mind. I mean, there, there's been some history of him dealing with depression and, you know, mental illness somewhat. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of have to wonder, is this somehow related to all this? Did he just get overwhelmed with everything and just couldn't handle it? And it just kind of compounded on previous stuff, which really isn't a full excuse, but it it would explain it a little bit. Here's my thoughts. If you're going to get into the industry in any way, shape, or form, 
the the uh, Kickstarter, word of mouth, uh, submitting your stuff to the, the the bigger companies, you know, the Valiant, Image, Marvel, DC, all that stuff. There's a certain amount of professionalism that has to come with that. You know, and, and if you make a book and you promise to produce that book, if people give you money to produce it, then you need to produce it. The response was obviously way more overwhelming than, than he requested, and that should say something. That should say that uh, that a lot of people are interested, a lot of people are passionate about his material and his work, and and they wanna they wanna have a part of that. They they wanna share that with with their friends and with their family. And to 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 say that you have had it, that you have had enough, that uh, if you ask me about it, I'm gonna burn books in retaliation, and I'm gonna show you my bank account. So that way you know how much I have in there and you know I didn't take any of the extra money uh, that that screams childish to me. I, I mean, I expect that out of my three-year-old. I expect that out of my ten-year-old when he doesn't get his way, but not out of a, a, a professional, you know. He can handle that better. I've, I've dealt with depression. Depression is a big part of my family. Um, my mom suffers from depression, so so I've dealt with that firsthand. And uh, I, I know that uh, sometimes that's a demon that that you can't fight. Uh, but but still, <laughs> yeah, get that much money and then to to not produce because. You're simply done. You've had enough. You shouldn't have done the Kickstarter in the first place. You should have stuck with uh, the webcomic, left it at that so people can have access to it for free or, or if he charges or whatever, and, and not put it into a compilation. You know, um, Don't waste people's time. Don't waste people's money. Don't waste their effort to try and help boost you. Yeah. You shouldn't have done that. that that's yeah, I mean, uh, obviously he... I don't know, whatever was going on, he didn't handle it well by taking it out on fans. Yeah, the, the last group of people you need to take it out on. <laughs> the, the the people that, that love and support your work, you know? It, it's like, what, like the Sex Pistols, where they hated everybody? <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. But, Waste the time. Yeah, in, but, you know, in conjunction with that, Paul Jenkins, who, like you said, Writes a couple books for Boom, and right. he and he also kickstarted Fairy Quest, which is how that all got started. Mm-hmm. He he's basically released a statement saying, you know, like, I don't know what's going on with him, and I don't know what his situation is, but that's not what people should think about Kickstarter and Kickstarter comics. No, Kickstarter is the perfect platform to get your independent titles off the ground. Perfect, because you you can go on to Kickstarter and have access to things that you would never normally have access to, and if you like it, give them your money. Yeah, and, and so Jenkins, you know, he he doesn't want people to see you know pictures for sad children and that whole fiasco as what Kickstarter right. and Kickstarter comics is. So he's he's basically extended a, a an open offer to anyone who backs. Campbell's Kickstarter saying, you know, I know it, I know it won't take the place of what you actually paid for, but 
send me a message, tweet at me something, and I'll give you a copy of my book instead. Right on. Which is really cool. You've got to, you know, that's cool, that's cool of him to do that. Yeah, he doesn't have to do that. Yeah. I, I mean, the, he he's trying to to help out the people that that Campbell pretty much shafted, you know, and and if he's going through a breakdown, that's understandable. I mean, to a point, but still, the the, the people that donated thirty thousand dollars, I mean, they need to be compensated in some way, shape, or form, either with a refund, or with a book in their hands, or a legitimate explanation as to why he took a video of uh, their comic book and showed him burning it. Yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know, it's one of those things that we probably won't ever really know what exactly happens or what happened, you know. And so, and it being on the Internet and the Internet being what it is, it's not a, <laughs> it's probably not going to be a very fair portrayal of it either, you know. Well, no, and, and now forever, you know, for forever, pictures of sad children uh, or sad pictures for children is going to be, synonymous with this. Yep. And and that's that's disappointing. You know, all that time and effort that he put into creating that work and, and compiling it and things like that, and now because of this, that's what people are going to look at. Yeah, very true. Yeah. So you, you want to move on to some books that aren't being burned and go with our pool list? <laughs> yes, yes, let's go with the pool list. First up um, is your pick, which was Moon Knight number one for Marvel. That's right. Okay, so if you guys don't know already, I am a huge Moon Knight fan. I uh, suffered through the first uh, series that Marvel put out. Like, like the first issue was okay. I did a review of it on Stash My Comics. You guys can look it up, Moon Knight number one. Um, but the, the rest of the series, with the exception of, like, four issues, I think were, were good. Or, or it was horrible. Those four issues in the first issue were, were okay. Like, it had some redeeming quality. And then the rest of the series was utter crap. Suffered through it. (laughs) But I love the character. The the, the character himself, the concept of the character, you know, is is a really good idea. And and I I get the comparisons with Moon Knight and Batman all the time and stuff like that. And and that's for for another segment. But moving on, he has a six-issue series uh, that uh, was totally ridiculous. Uh, Nico Taylor, uh, one of the members on our – in in the forum for SNC – Warned me against it, but I didn't listen to him, and I read it anyways, and uh, agree with what he said and, and how horrible. Uh, <laughs> but uh, then Moon Knight gets passed around West Coast Avengers, uh, has his own title again for a little while, and then uh, in the mid 2000s uh, he gets that uh, that series that ran for for about twenty some issues, uh, where it, it was just fantastic. It reinvigorated the character, brought it back into the limelight. People loved it, and then Marvel canned it. Uh, and then Bendis took it over. We talked about that last week uh, for 12 issues before Marvel uh, canned that, too. Uh, fans loved it. Uh, they, they showed uh, kind of the, the schizophrenic side of Mark Spector, where he's uh, yelling in the street, 
to Spider-Man, Captain America, and Wolverine, but they're not there. You know, like, yeah. like he yeah. has legitimately lost his mind. Nope. Well, what'd you do? Yeah, what'd you do? Uh, my controller shut off. Oh. Yeah, where... Hmm. Where should I go back? Did it record the whole time? I'm assuming it recorded the whole time. Okay. Just keep talking. I'll figure it out. Okay. All right. I just got to remember to go back and forth. Otherwise, I'm going to forget. Um, but, uh, okay. Five, four, three. But you take it with the Bendis run, and then there there's nothing after that. For, for a while, for like a year and a half, two years, something like that. Um, and then you come to this, the New Moon Knight stuff. Uh, it's written by Warren Ellis. Artwork is by uh, uh, Declan Sh- Shalvey. I yeah. know I did that wrong. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> the series kind of starts out, or, or the issue starts out with uh, a reporter looking at a picture of Moon Knight and and they're they're talking about oh he's back he you know he's been gone for so long that sort of thing and uh, they're they're talking about his past and, and they're totally referencing everything that had taken place before uh, yeah. which I really appreciated they they didn't disregard anything you know so everything that happened in comics uh has happened um, and then they go on talk about him some more. And all the while, while this is going on, uh, you see bits and pieces of this white-clad character who who is Moon Knight. Um, the the costume has changed. Uh, he's he's done away with uh, the superhero garb, uh, the tights and the cape and the cowl and things like that, and gone with uh, this uh, pure white uh, tuxedo kind of thing, business suit. I guess you could say uh, white gloves, white shoes, pulls on the white mask, has a little crescent moon on the on the forehead and all that stuff. And uh, he's taken part in uh, street investigations, you know, like like murders and and things like that. And uh, the the whole attitude of the character has changed, like, from, from what people may be used to if they never read the Bendis run, or if uh, the only thing they're familiar with is, is the mid-2000s run. Um, but uh, it's it's different. It's, it's, it's really different. Um, I really enjoy how Ellis uh, gives great reference to the past, like he doesn't forget the past. Those who forget the past are doomed to repeat it. But uh, I love the the noir crime drama feel of the series. Mm-hmm. Like with uh, Shelby's artwork, <clears throat> uh, it it seems to me like like Marvel is is leaning more toward this uh, sketchy, raw, gritty type artwork. You know, it's not as uh, polished and clean as like McFarlane or Lee. Yeah, yeah. Uh, things like that. It's it's more urban, I, I guess, is, is the right way to do it. Which works, because it seems like they're kind of keeping him as a street-level character right now. 
Yeah. You know? the, the the thing that I'm noticing is is they're making things a lot more realistic, quote unquote. Um but uh I, I wasn't quite sure about the costume to start. Uh but the the, the more I read it, uh the more I I got into it and I could see, you know, kind kind of like the aspects of it and and the switch from from the superhero side to to this more street level side. It's it's a completely different Moon Knight, you know, with all the history from before, but uh but I enjoyed it. I I was hooked, you know. I and and I'm the biggest critic of of Moon Knight stuff out there because I I really hate what Marvel's done with the exception of the mid 2000s and and the Bendis stuff. But uh all in all, one of my favorite characters is uh getting flipped sideways and I am 100% along for the ride. You know, Ellis's writing is great. Uh Shelby's uh pencils are awesome. Nothing more I can say about it except count me in. Good deal. <laughs> I I uh I thought like I'm not I'm not very familiar with Moon Knight at all, I must say. I've never really read much of them or any of his older stuff. So this is more or less my introduction to him. Okay. You know, I I know who he is, I know about him, but I've never really read much of the Moon Knight comics. So this is more or less my introduction. Or as introduced as you can be when you already know who the character is. You know what I mean? Right. And so it was cool, kind of those first few pages where it sort of told you, you know, that, you know, he was this, and then he was this, and then this happened to him. And so I feel like I know a lot of his history, even though I've only read one issue. Yeah, the the way that uh, they incorporated the past and stuff, it, it really gets you right up to speed. You don't really need to to dig into all of that to, to start this. Yeah, and I mean, his the new costume's interesting. I was not expecting, you know, very formal suit and tie sort of deal. <laughs> but, I mean, the whole Detective Moon Knight kind of thing, it, it works for that. It works for that. Mm-hmm. The, the one thing that I found a little odd was, and I warmed up to it, was the coloring on Moon Knight himself, because it's not like they colored him white and shaded and everything. No. There, there, there was literally no coloring on him. It is, it is the white of the background, it's and then the, the pencils, the inks, and that's it. Yeah, there, there's literally no coloring on him. He is completely white. And I that that was weird at first. But it's a great contrast, though, to the, to the rest of the issue. Yeah, it, it was weird at first, but then I kind of warmed up to it. And so it kind of set him apart because he's, you know, he's pure almost. I, I know it's not the right way to put it, but that's that's the first thing I can think of. <laughs> he, you know, this, he's, he's set apart. Yeah, th- this Moon Knight to me uh, was was a lot more subtle than the previous uh, titles had had shown him to be. Like they explained why he was wearing white, you know, why why does he wear white? Won't people see him? And they're like, well, yeah, that's, that's kind of that's the what point. he wants. Yeah, and and he even makes mention of that himself. And uh, when in in the in the series or in the issue when he's fighting the the bad guy, of the issue, uh, you know, the, he calls him crazy, and and Moon Knight references that too. He's like, well, I've been called that before, 
and he just kind of goes. My, my favorite right line, in. though, was where, you know, he was talking about being dead, and he said, I was dead once. It was boring, so I got back up. Yeah. <laughs> I, I loved that. And it was also interesting that uh, Ellis, he, he wrote very few first issues, or any issues for that matter, in, you know, current Big Two comics are standalone. Mm-hmm. Because that wrapped up that whole little, you know, it wrapped up the whole little case right there in that issue. There was no cliffhanger. There was no, you know, find out what happens next month. It was Moon Knight finds the bad guy, takes care of him, wraps it up all in one issue. It was in and out. Here, first couple pages, backstory. This is what's going on. Now you're caught up. Here's Moon Knight. Now he's going through this investigation process. He's established himself as a street-level hero. Now he's going after the guy. He's, he's doing his investigating. He finds him, little quips back and forth, issue's over. Yeah, and I, I think that was... I mean, you don't see it a lot now in Big Two comics, Mm-mm. much no, less with done. Big Six-ish yeah. story arcs. I mean, it was done very, very well. There's a lot in those 20 pages. So, I give the writing a 9 out of 10. Okay. I think Ellis's work is is barn on some of the best Moon Knight stuff that's been out there. It's it's a refreshing take. It's it's like a cool drink of water on a hot summer day. It's it's really worth the time. And the artwork, uh, Shelby's artwork, same thing. Nine out of ten. I I give it a nine and eight for writing and art, respectively. Nice. I I'm I'm with the writing. The, the artwork. There's just a couple of things that just don't oh, they don't gel with me just yet. <laughs> Okay, so so 8.5 from you, 9 from yes. me. Let's Overall, get... a very good issue. Yeah, well worth the read, well worth the pickup. Yeah. Well, let's talk about my pick for this week. This is a Liberator slash Earth Crisis, Salvation of the Innocence, number one. And this is uh, from Black Mass Studios, written by Matt Miner and Earth Crisis with Arch... Pencils and inks by Javier Aranda and colors by Joaquin Pereira. Now, this Black Mass Studios, uh, I, don't know, I don't know if you're familiar with them, no. but they're they are kind of political-oriented. Steve Niles, Matt Pozzolo, and a couple other guys were, were publishing works. And one of their first big things was an, Ocua, an Occupy Wall Street anthology. Where oh, all the, uh, with uh, Alan Moore and Michael yeah, Ridd. Yeah, yeah where all the proceeds went to occupy events. So they're a little they're a little politically oriented, to say the least. Mm-hmm. And Liberator is all about like animal rights and animal liberation and the people that do that and you know, veganism, all that good stuff. And Matt Miner, the creator and writer, he is himself a vegan, he's an animal rescuer and you know, he goes to protests and that sort of thing. And so this issue is actually the second volume after Liberator Volume One, Earth Crisis, came, you know, came to Matt, and they were like, "Hey, we want we want to work with you on this comic, which is going to be a companion to our album." Right, Earth Crisis. For those that don't know, is a metalcore band. Yeah, uh, they themselves are animal rights activists, and uh, all of them are vegans, if I'm yes. not mistaken. I believe you're right. Yeah, and so they came to Matt and they wanted to work with him on this comic, which would be a companion story to the album, 
bad. I uh, believe it's, it's, it's the same name. Of, yeah, the Innocence. Yeah, the Innocence that came out March 4th. Yeah, and so, I mean, and so they, they, they go hand in hand, and they tell different sides of the same story, from what I understand. And this issue basically follows this woman who applies for a job as a janitor at a animal testing facility. Mm-hmm. And trying to put herself through college. Yeah, I mean, she's just trying to get a job, make some money, do what she has to to get by. And outside the facility are all these protesters, one of which is Jeanette, who is one of the main characters from the first volume of Liberator, but you don't know that if you haven't read that. And so at, at the facility, there's obviously a lot of animal testing. There's a lot of pretty terrible things going on. It's very graphic. Yes, it is. It is. And uh, I, I forgot what I was saying. Anyway, and so at the facility, at the, at the facility, uh, Sarah, who's the, who's the main character, she's the one that's the janitor. She she eventually befriends this this uh, monkey who's being used for testing named Darby. Right. And she, you know. The longer she works there, the more she just can't handle what she has to look at and experience every day. So she eventually decides to start doing what she's read about on the Internet, that is, you know, breaking the animals out of the lab and sabotaging the building and all that. Militant activism. Yes, militant activism. (laughs) And that's more or less where the story ends. Yeah. So... You you texted me about this. I want to hear what you thought first. <laughs> okay. When I do reviews, I, I've told you this. Uh, you you even asked me. Uh, you know, when when you read when you read these comics, Tim, how do you, how do you do it? This is this is how I do it. I'll sit down, uh, either on the computer or at my desk with a hard copy of of the issue, and I'll I'll read it from page one to the last page, front to back. And what I do is I take notes and uh, write these little comments down to to help me remember or to jog my memory into what I want to talk about when, when we do this. To give you an example, uh, my Moon Knight review uh, is a quarter of a page. It's like a paragraph and a half. Um, it's, yeah, that's just to, to remind me what to say, uh, you know, and uh, kind of to keep me on point instead of straying off into the nether regions. Um, my Liberator slash Earth Crisis uh, Salvation of the Innocents review is, is almost a full page. <laughs> And the first thing that I have on here now, if I offend anybody, I, I am deeply and truly sorry. That's that's totally not my intent. My intent is is humor and nothing more. It, it's satire. It's it's comedy. It's entertainment. And if you don't have a little bit of thick skin, then uh, you can't take criticism, like Rob Liefeld. Um, <laughs> but. Uh, the, the the first thing that that I wrote down was vegan metal, and I underlined it, and I said, "Is it even possible?" 
Because when I think of a vegan, uh, like a true vegan, uh, the, the guy from Scott, Scott Pilgrim, Brandon Roth's character, or yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't eat anything with a face, <laughs> and his vegan powers. Um, you know, I always thought you had to like drip blood into your mouth to to listen to metalcore, you know, or, or borderline death metal, and do sacrifices and stuff like that, but. <laughs> Okay, so let, 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 let's get right into it. <laughs> the artwork for me, uh, every man that uh, Javier drew, their face looked like it had been smashed in, like it was smushed, or, or they had their heads down all the time so they you couldn't see their chins, and it looked like they were trying to scrunch their faces. Um but uh aside from that the artwork is solid it's it's uh it's indie artwork you you can tell that but it's but it's clean uh it's precise uh the, the lines are good he doesn't stray um his his backgrounds work his uh, body proportions are are evident and real um but with that being said uh it most certainly caters to a target audience, like the, this is going to be a deep underground comic. I, I don't think this will go beyond uh, hipster comic shops or uh, stuff passed out at rallies or uh, protests. Uh, things like that. Passed out at rallies. All I can think about was the fast food place, and that confused me for a second. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I don't think they're going to be standing there while you're yeah, chomping on your burger and be like, here, read read this comic book about militant animal rights activists. And, that, and that, could have, yeah, that would mess me up for a second. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's a protest comic, plain and simple, through and through. There, there's no way around this. Uh, uh, Earth Crisis... And, and minor are very passionate about what they write, and it it shows. Um, but uh, it, it's a protest comic targets against the cruelties of animal testing while trying to send the message. It seems to me to free the animals and condemn those that hurt them. Uh, I'll, I'll get into that in, in a second, but uh, it's a solid story. Uh, but it lacks heart, and, and I don't mean that as a bad pun, um, but uh, it lacks heart and uh, character background, because you're kind of thrown in with this girl. She walks in. She applies for the job. The guy's like, well, we're in the middle of this interview uh, when a doctor breaks in and or you know interrupts the interview and is like, you come clean this. You work here. You do this for me now. And, and then he's like, okay, you got the job, and on you go, and then... You don't know much more else about her, and then you learn that she she hates what's going on in the in the place that she works at. That she knew what was going on when she started working there, but she got a job there anyways. Um, but uh, if you're into this sort of comic book, it'll get high praises. But uh, if you're not, I, I think it'll become uh, a coaster for your coffee. <laughs> it it reminds me of a comic book that uh, 
extremist vegetarians would throw at you or something like PETA would toss at you. Um, now, on, on a side note, I'm all about our rights, especially our freedom of speech and our right to peaceful assembly. Um, but uh, militant activists, militant responses, uh, I don't think they work. I don't think they work for protests because your actions are overshadowing uh, what you're trying to do. You know, and I, I think that this comic book is a comics are a great medium to get your message across, and, and music is is a great medium to get your message across. I, I mean, I I've, I'm a musician. I've I've been in music for for years. I, I've been in my fair share of bands that went nowhere, and I've been in my fair share of bands that were pretty close. You know, and and all songs say something. Earth Crisis is obviously very passionate about what they do, and they do it in their music and mm -hmm. metalcore, and I, and I took the time to listen to that, and, and it's something that I could probably get into. Uh, the, the message that they're pushing across is, is maybe a little too aggressive for me, um, but uh, militant activism, I, I think it's wrong, and, and I think that the comic pushes that a little too much. That uh, They push the uh, break-in break the law, uh, free, free these, these animals that are in pain and being tortured. Um, and, uh, come whatever may be on that, you know, and condemn the people that are knowingly doing this. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to sound ignorant, <laughs> but, uh, but there's, there's better ways to do it than that. The artwork gets a 7 for me. The writing gets a 4. Okay. What are your thoughts? Uh, I've read the previous volume and this one is definitely a little bit more graphic, a little bit more uh, hardcore for lack of, lack of a better word. Holy, you ain't kidding. <laughs> yeah, it's and I, I agree with you that you are thrust into things a bit. You are, you know, you are kind of just thrown in here. This is Sarah, and she's trying to get a job. There you go. Yeah. But I think that's probably because it's only a two-issue deal, from what I understand. Right. First issue is 36 pages. Yeah. So it's, and so I mean, it's a nice little chunk. And so they have two issues, and it's sort of... It's, uh... The art of, you know, like you said... There's a little bit that you know, a little doesn't gel sometimes, mm -hmm. but but all in all, it's pretty good art. I I enjoy it the first time around. I like it this time as well. Right, right. The I, book was my favorite part of, of yeah. the entire book. It, I don't know. Maybe because I read the first volume, I there's a there's a little more that that I that I get, I connect with, I guess. Because there, there is a little bit, like I said, Jeanette from the first volume makes an appearance, so it's sort of tied in to the first volume in a way. Right. She's the, the redhead that's yeah. standing outside yeah. the building. Yeah. And it also, also it seems like uh, the, the Earth Crisis album would also give you a better look at things, too, which I haven't listened to them, so I don't really know. 
<laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. But I'm just populating some stuff. I listened to two songs off the album. Yeah, good, bad. And, uh, I'd have to listen to the rest. I, I mean, metalcore, I'm not super into, um, but uh, I'll listen to it. Yeah. Like, like the heaviest style I'll go is like Pantera, Slipknot, and and stuff like that. And that's that's about as 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 much aggression as I need. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> and it, it does it does really sort of paint the picture of animal testing and activism. It does really make it pretty. It, it's a lot more graphic. That's that's just the easiest way to say it than the previous volume, but it's, I don't know, if nothing else, it makes you consider some things, it makes you think a little bit, even if you don't necessarily agree with it, I guess. Right, and and I can agree with that. I mean, it, it makes you kind of look at it like, man, this is, like, this is pretty rough, I don't, and I mean, I, I say this as someone who just ate a steak, you know? <laughs> I, I'm going to eat meat for dinner. Literally 15 minutes before we started, I, I'd eaten a steak, and, you know, I, I'm i not a vegan or an activist or anything, but it does make you think a bit. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I don't know, I, I'm not as hard on Matt's writing as you. Like I said, I think it might be, it might be because I've read the previous volume. Right. I, I don't know. But I, I agree that there is a little bit of a sort of rush feeling to it. But all in all, I mean, it's it, it's a little bit more hardcore, it's a little bit more graphic, but I still think it sort of it carries that same message that the first volume did, where, you know, these people, they're not superheroes, but, you know, that's, they're, they're, they're Batman, but for animals, you know. They're, they're fighting the atrocities and the crimes that directly affect them. Yeah, I mean they're 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 heroes in their own right, which is which is an interesting way to look at it. Some people could look at this uh like my dad especially the the uh forever republican. Uh, uh he he could look at this and and call it propaganda. Oh yeah. Uh, but then other people could look at it and call it an eye-opener because, you know, like I said, comics is a great medium to to get your message across, especially today, you know, with as popular as as comic books in general have become. You know, what better way to to reach people, to reach young, impressionable minds than with what they're reading themselves, which is a comic book? The first volume, I I even remarked about how much – the whole animal rights thing wasn't the central story. Mm-hmm. Like, it, that's not really what it was about. That was almost incidental. I mean, it, it was it's a, here, though. It, yeah, and this one is a little bit more up in the front, which could definitely turn some people off. Yeah. it's. I mean, it's a little bit more in, in front with this volume, which I don't know if that's just how bad ones do it or if that was part of the, you know, working with Earth Crisis and part of the tie into the album, I don't know. It's just, like, the, the thing that was very off-putting for me is just the the whole military-aggressive protesting. I, I can't get into that. I can't get into to hurting other people or destroying other people's things 
to get your message across because all that shows is that uh, you're willing to cross that line that doesn't need to be crossed, you know, and, and if you're trying to emulate the heroes of the comics that you grew up with, you know, they, they'd all look at you and they'd shake their head and they'd be like, what are you doing? You know, this isn't what we're about. You know, we're not, we're not about destroying things. We're not about hurting people. We're about saving people and protecting people and protecting values and, and all that stuff. I'll tell you on that. I'll tell you. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so for me, the art would probably get an eight. Matt's writing would probably get like a seven, I'll say. Right. So it, it, it jailed a little more with me than it did with you. So it gets a seven and a half out of you, yes. and and I can't uh, figure out what my old. Uh, would be. <laughs> like a five and a half. What'd you do? A yeah. four and a seven. Yeah, four and a yeah, seven. Yeah, five and a half. Okay. I'd read the second issue uh, just to finish the story and, yeah. and maybe see what he's got to say in the other 36 pages. But uh, beyond that, I, it's not something I would recommend. Do what, Would you check out the first volume based upon what I said, kind of what, what you've got from this issue? Yeah, totally. I, I, I love... Uh, source material. I, I love where things come from, and I'm okay. all about that. Uh, and, and that goes into, you know, like like the stuff that we've been reading since last week, you know, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, Leftovers, which I mentioned earlier in, in the episode. Uh, Jason Pittman uh, sent me that, uh, and uh, his, his message was so cool. It, it was like, hey, my name's Jason Pittman. I'm, I'm doing this comic series. It's called Leftovers. Each book uh, is a standalone in itself. Here is issue number four. It's the start of a three-issue story arc. Uh, check it out. Read it. Review it if you want to. If not, here's a complimentary issue on me. Hope you enjoy it. And, and that was it. And uh, I sent him a message back, and I was like, hey, I'd, I'd love to do this. I'd love to review the book. It looks really cool. It's really interesting. Could you send me the other three issues that you did previous. I, I want to see kind of where you started and where you are now. And he said, yeah, sure. I mean, he responded with, within about an hour or so and sent me the other three issues. I sat down, jeez, uh, last last Wednesday, I think, to, to read these. Um, and issue number one was quite possibly one of the best comic books I have read in recent memory. I thought you were about to say it was terrible and I was like, oh man. <laughs> it's it's a it's a simple story. I mean it's it's about this guy that uh is is like every other early twenties type guy, you know, that's stuck in a job that he doesn't like but he has to do it and he's got his best friend that works with him. They work in a grocery store. Uh, and, uh, it's, it's about what he goes through. He gets two tattoos on his neck, a star on each side, and, and those have some significance in the story. Uh, and his boss gets all up in his business about that, you know, and, and it's whatever, and, and then they go about the rest of their day, and they go to this, uh, concert, and he meets a girl there that has the same two tattoos, but in, uh, like on her upper chest. Um, it, it's not provocative though, or, or anything yeah, yeah, like yeah. that. But uh, 
they they meet, they connect, and and they fall in love with each other. And and the story is all about what they go through as okay. a couple in the short amount of time that they met. Like like that first issue, it, it felt so personal to me. Like like I was getting a glimpse into something that I didn't need to know anything about. And uh, Jason was kind enough to share that with me. And he's like, "Here you go." And you you could feel uh, the the personal touch that that story had. And 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 if there's not and if there's nothing personal in that story, then he is a hell of a good writer. Um, but uh, it, it it was fantastic. It reminded me of Harvey P. Carr's American Splendor. Yeah. Um, like it was it was that good. Um. And, and I remember the, the the last page I've read, I, I've read it all the way up. I was so engrossed in the book, I was vested. And uh, got to the last page, I was like, ah, it was totally not what I had expected it to be. And then I jumped onto issue two, hoping that the story would continue. And true to Jason, uh, it was a self-contained story, had nothing to do with the the last issue before it it was like a bunch of short stories and, and the second issue was was almost as good as the first but it didn't have that same glint of joy I, I guess that that's probably the wrong word for it but I mean it was it didn't have it but it was still good and yeah. the third issue was equally as good as the second issue and now I'm into the fourth issue and uh that that spark, that magic that was in the first issue has come back in issue four, and, and the the story is so hard for me to explain. Like you have to read this. If if anybody has a chance to pick up leftovers, pick up issue number one. Read issue number one. It is totally worth the time to do it. Uh, I'll have a review up for it later this week, probably the same day that this podcast comes out. It's not a day before or a day after, um, and I'll have links up there where you can check out his stuff but uh, I highly recommend it issue number one is is the comic that everybody should read that nobody's heard about okay yeah. all right <laughs> but what what's on your pull list what, what are you reading uh let's see what have I been reading well I'm digging into that comicology bundle like I said I'm talking about dead horse I've been digging that I read uh Smoke and Mirrors recently, as which I got from the IDW sale of Uncomicology. Okay. And that's in Smoke and Mirrors is very interesting because it's uh it's about a guy who's in like an alternate universe or whatever where, where magic has replaced technology. But the main character is a stage magician from our Earth. So he doesn't know how to use magic. He doesn't know what all this stuff is, but he can do like card tricks, which to them is the most amazing thing. <laughs> because it doesn't follow any of their rules of magic, and so he's able wow. to so he's able to do these simple you know tricks, which don't follow any of their rules. It doesn't use any of their magic energy or like any of their words, but he's able to do these things and make them do things, and they just can't understand it. And so he's like the most <laughs> powerful man to them, and it, it was interesting because in a couple of the panels. They actually they actually do magic tricks on the comic panel, and really? yeah, and, and so that's the first time I've ever seen that done that way. Like they do a card trick, and you know he shows you the cards in one panel, and then he shuffles them and stuff. 
And then he shows you the other cards, and it's exactly how the trick would play out. You don't notice it unless you really, really look. I like the books that are totally interactive like that. Yeah, it, I mean, it only does it a couple of times in the book, but it's very, <laughs> it's very, very interesting. What's it called? Smoke and Mirrors? Yeah, Smoke and Mirrors. It's from IDW. Nice. And uh, I'm trying to think what else. I don't know, man. Uh, uh, I read Manifest Destiny number five, which will be out Wednesday. Right on. I am digging from Image. I like alternate history, so that's a very interesting book for me. I I never uh, had the time or the inclination to get into it, but but if it's I, I'm noticing a trend. Like if it's something that you're reading, uh, then then it has to be good. <laughs> Unless it's Liberator, right? Well, well, yeah. That, I mean, <laughs> you can't be right all the time. <laughs> perfect. But uh, but you're you're two for certain. Th- what you're you're two for three right now. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, DMZ and Dave. Yeah. And and then you know Liberators, but or well, Liberator. Well, I'm sorry, well, not plural. <laughs> but uh, my pull list uh, consists of uh, <sighs> Punisher. I'm reading that. I've got Moon Knight, uh, Magneto number one I'm going to check out. Um, uh, Jeez, what else? Uh, DMZ I'm still reading. Aquaman is is sitting in the background ready to be read. Uh, And uh, I'm going to try and get into the reprints of Miracle Man, but uh, that's not going the way that I want it to, so... <laughs> not, not not the book because the reprints and and I've I've read them before but uh, I want to read them again so I can get into the new stuff that that Gaiman is going to do once they get up to that point. Um, but aside from that, nothing else. Yeah, I mean, there's I'm sure there's something I'm missing, but that's the the high point for this week. But let's go ahead and take it to the uh, weekly distraction this week. Okay, so weekly distraction, collectible card games, which you and I both have a decent amount of past with. <laughs> okay. Uh, for, for those of you that don't know, collectible card games are uh, games uh, that, that you play with a deck of cards, uh, hand of five, hand of seven, decks of uh, 30 to 70, you know. Back and forth, uh, Magic the Gathering, uh, Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon, uh, Overpower, that, that's a game that's no longer in production, um, but uh, Legend of the Five Rings, uh, Vampire, The Eternal Struggle, uh, and the list goes on and on and on. There is probably a collectible card game for nearly any franchise that you could think of. Star Trek, Star Wars, Highlander, Lord, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, um, and then... All kinds of other things from there. And and to do a little bit of history, uh, from, from my understanding, at least with the research I've done, and if I'm wrong, correct me in the comments section of the podcast, uh, <clears throat> but th- there was never uh, any type of collectible card game up to the point of magic. And and Richard Garfield, who, who was a professor at, at a college, uh, the, the college name eludes me right now, but uh, he needed something... For his students to do to kind of pass the time, and they came up <coughs> with this 
card game that would become Magic the Gathering. I mean, he was trying to do uh, Robo Rally, which was a board game uh, that he wanted to make, which eventually was made into a collectible card game that, that never went anywhere beyond that. Um, hmm. But uh, while he's trying to do Robo Rally, he makes this. Uh, Wizards of the Coast uh, needed him uh, to produce a, a CCG, a collectible card game like this, and he came up with this, had his students play it and stuff like that, and evolved uh, into. Uh, Magic, the the Alpha edition that was released. Now, anybody that plays Magic that listens to this knows that that Alpha cards are extremely rare to get. I, I mean, like they're expensive. Uh, like uh, just for an example, Black Lotus. Uh, it's a zero casting cost uh, <laughs> artifact. Uh, it's, uh, once you you put it into play, you use it once. You have to sacrifice it, and it provides three mana of any color uh, until the end of the turn. It's it's a simple card. But but in in the game of Magic, it's immensely powerful. Oh yeah. And, and uh, that that card sold. I, I think a Gem Mint Alpha sold it, for it over sold a million dollars. Yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. It, it, it's crazy. Uh, you have the Power Nine, uh, the Black Lotus, the Mo- uh, the Mox uh, cards, uh, the Emerald, the Sapphire, the Ruby, the the Pearl, uh, and and it just goes on and on. Time Walk and Time Twister and. As, Ancestral Recall and the, the the Power Nine are the most sought after cards in Magic history. Uh, they're they're expensive. They're thousands of dollars. Um, but uh, getting back to the the whole point of it, when Alpha was released, um, I, I think Richard Garfield uh, produced two and a half million sets, full sets of Alpha uh, that that were spread out through the region and the country, and, and they sold out within days. <laughs> like, it, it was so addictive. Uh, and and when I got into it, uh, they had just come out with Revised, like they did Alpha, they did Beta, uh, they changed some things on the cards, and uh, then they did Unlimited, and during that time, too, you had uh, expansions like Antiquities and the Dark yeah, yeah. and uh, Arabian Nights, I believe, and Legends. Legends was the last one. Like, And this is all out. starting in uh, 93. 93, yeah, in 1993. And uh, Unlimited was the last set to see the Power Nine before they were removed because of how immensely powerful they were and how how people could do first-turn kills and stuff like that. And that, those are irritating. Any of you that play Magic, first turn kills, takes away from the game. Play the mid-game. All my decks are built for the mid-game. I've got like 20 decks, and I'll go into each one of those here in a minute. <laughs> but, uh, no, uh, 93, uh, Revised, when Revised hit the stores, uh, I, I remember to this day how I got into Magic. My brother Joe uh, came home uh, from school. And uh, he had these two boxes of cards in his hands, and he tossed one on the table, and he cracked the other one open, and he started reading the rule book. He said, what's this? He said, look through it. We're going to play this game here in a minute. I said, okay. <laughs> and uh, that was it. I mean, that that started, uh, God, years of wasted money. Yeah. <laughs> um, and tons of fun. Like the the decks that I have over the course of the years, I 
I played Magic from Revised all the way up to uh, right after uh, the Mirrodin block came out. The first Mirrodin block, Mirrodin and Darksteel and Fist. Oh, yeah. Stuff like that. And then I got out of cards, and uh, I, I had a ton of cards. I, I had like a, uh, a duffel bag that uh, I used to carry all my cards in. I could barely lift it off of the ground. I had so many cards. Uh, and I uh, I sold them all for $100 because I wasn't playing anymore. I had nobody to play with. I kept all my decks and gave them to my brother Joe. Uh, and I said, here, hold on to these. I may want these back. And I sold the rest. Um, and then years later, uh, when I moved here uh, to Tennessee, uh started running into people that were playing cards again. And I got, uh, got my decks back. And... Uh, have been playing ever since. I mean, the the new set Ther uh, Theros or the the God set. I, I think it's kind of stupid, um, but other people may disagree with me on that. But um, getting back into what we're talking about, I mean, Magic really started the whole thing. It started CCGs. It, it sent it into the the far reaches of the galaxy, and and then. You know, Legends of the Five Rings comes out, and, and I think that is the most interactive of the card games with their fan base. I, I uh, never could get into that game. It's it's so difficult to get into, but once you get into it, it's so hard to get out of. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I played a little bit of it uh, back when it first came out. But, uh, like, with Legend of the Five Rings, um, they their tournaments decide how their storyline goes. That like is they have the, cool. Yeah, they have the different houses that are all represented in, in the game, hence, you know, the name of the, the game Legend of the Five Rings and, and stuff like that. And, and uh, each house does different things. And uh, when they do their tournaments, whichever house wins, uh, that go, is incorporated into their storyline for next year. That is really cool. Yeah. But uh, other CCGs that uh, that have spawned since Magic, Pokemon. Everybody knows what Pokemon. Yeah, I, that was actually got me into that. Got me into CCG because I was a, a young child when the games and the TV show and the cards and all that started really becoming popular. <laughs> and so, like that, that was the first thing that I got into, and I was it was you know oh man. I hated Pokemon. <laughs> well, fine. For the simple fact that it was a heavy competitor against Magic. And, and my train of thought was, how could this game, based on ridiculous-looking creatures, be just as good as my Magic the Gathering? There's no possible way. It's, it's, it's a very different sort of game. And I think there's a different audience, even as someone who plays both simultaneously. Yeah. But it's, I mean, it's very addictive and very rewarding in its own way. Agreed. Uh, my my uh, my nephew, uh, Joe's son, they they play Pokemon uh, all the time, and and they love it. I mean, I mean, and Pokemon doesn't just stick with the cards either. I mean, that's got its own cartoon show. It's yeah. its own culture in Japan. I mean, you have the video games, red, white, gold, platinum, and and whatever. 
But uh, then you have Yu-Gi-Oh. Uh, I never played Yu-Gi-Oh. I, I was into that, too. <laughs> it, 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 was, it was Pokemon Magic Yu-Gi-Oh. I, I was a holdout on Yu-Gi-Oh, actually. My brother started playing it, and I was like, man, I'm, like, I'm good. I'm good with these two. Like, I'm good to go. <laughs> and I started playing that, and yeah. I've always been a Magic player, and I, I never really branched out from there. I, I did for a little while... Uh, with Overpower, uh, the the superhero card game, like Marvel uh, did an Overpower game, and that was a really good game. Uh, me and my friend Scott uh, used to play Overpower all the time, all the time. I mean, that that was a really good concept, really easy to learn, uh, and a lot of fun. And and the card texture was was really awesome too. It was like really durable cardboard. Or whatever, and DC even had their overpower stuff, and and the, both sets were compatible with with the others. I mean, I I love that. Um, what else was there? There's Yu-Gi-Oh. We already talked about Yu-Gi-Oh. I never got into that. Um, I don't know. Just yeah, like the Yu-Gi-Oh, the, like the the game concepts are. It's almost like a mix between Magic and Pokemon. Yeah, the, because there the were concept is nearly the same. Um, it's, I mean, it, it's a weird mix between the two because there were a lot of concepts in Yu-Gi-Oh that I first started playing. I was like, oh, well, it's like this in Magic, or oh, it's kind of like that in Pokemon. And it's so, like the, it's, the massive powers that uh, the the cards have, like their the defense or whatever, 5,000, yeah, 10,000. Yeah. yeah, that that would seem like a little much for me. But uh, it's it's basically you know power and toughness just scaled up you know what I mean yeah yeah but uh, I I mean since since then like there have been other games that have come out too Uh, one that comes to mind was Wyvern Uh, that didn't last uh, any farther than than its first release but it, it involved started involving like coins and two different decks and they tried to make things way more complicated than it needed needed to be. And I think the reason why the the ones that are still available now, or at least the big ones, Magic, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, uh, Legend of the Five Rings, and and so on, the reason why they're so successful is because of their simplicity, but their endless possibility. Yeah, that was, that was the thing that I loved about Magic, because I started playing when I was about eight, and my brother, he was about 13. Mm-hmm. And so it was one of those games where I, you know, I'm I'm, a, I'm in second grade at this point. And so I'm a little kid, you know. But it's one of those games where an 8-year-old could be just as good, just as competitive as a 13 or 16-year-old. And it didn't, you know what I mean? It wasn't about how old you were or what you knew. As long as you knew how to play the game and you were, you know what I mean? You could think. If you could strategize, you yeah. would win. I mean, it, it was it was simple enough to where, like I said, an eight-year-old could beat a grown man. Yeah. But it's you know complex enough, and hard enough, and different well, I mean, enough. I'm to where teaching it my. Play. Yeah, I'm teaching my ten-year-old son how to play, and and he plays Thursday nights with us when we play cards. And uh, we we try to follow uh, the the band list as much as possible. Uh, sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. Like, uh, the Necropotent deck that I have is completely illegal. Um, but, uh, but it's awesome to play. It pisses people off so bad. Um, 
like like the whole point of necropotence uh, for for people that don't know is uh it's it's an enchantment it sits out into play it's permanent costs three black and when it comes into play you skip your draw step which means that if you run out of cards you don't lose because you don't have to draw it eliminates that possibility of losing right there but you have to pay one life per card you want to draw. Uh, so the whole deck is built around those cards, which I have three of in there, and according to the band list, you can't even use it. But I don't care about that. Um, but uh, it, it's built around that. Uh, I have uh, Ivory Towers, which uh, give me life per card in excess of four, and I have cards that allow me to skip my discard phase, so I can sit there and accumulate cards, and what I'll do is when I get Necropotence out, I'll drop 15 life out of my 20, drop me down to 5, survive one round, and then with one Ivory Tower, I'm starting to gain life, 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 life. Yeah. I'll be up to five, 600 life by the time the game is over, and it's it's nearly impossible to shut me down. And then and then on the flip side, I've got other decks like uh, Stasis. Uh, my stasis deck is is so heartless. Uh, it it's it's it slows the game down to a crawl for you, but not for me. You know, like your turn will consist of you saying go every time. Yeah. And, and I'll get to take my turn and do whatever I want, and then it'll be your turn again, only to tell me to go, so I can continue to make you irritated and mad. I made my son cry playing that deck. But uh one of my uh favorite strategies, favorite kind of decks growing up was always the land destruction deck, red black. Yeah. And I you have never seen a teenager as mad as a eight or nine year old kid as when I would play that. Because <laughs> I mean I, I had one kid just cuss at me furiously because, you know, I mean we're ten turns in, he has no lands, I have all these little goblins and stuff, just slowly pinging him. And, I mean, you know, yeah, I could have let him get a couple lands on the board, but that's not the point, you know? And so every turn, just blow up whatever he has, be done with it. One of the most memorable games that I ever had was not even against any of my friends. Um... I've got this deck. It's a it's a grindstone deck. It's it's blue and white, uh, mainly blue, splash of white, lots of artifacts. Uh, I have the grindstones and the millstones in there that eat away at your library until you have no more. I have tons of counter spells to prevent you from doing anything you can to me or to my artifacts, and I have a uh, peacekeeper uh, which prevents combat. No combat can take place as long as Peacekeeper is in play. And then I have other cards uh, to where as long as I keep a creature in play, my life total can't go below one. And I've even got a card called uh, Ivory Mask that means I can't be the target of spells or abilities. So I, I shut you down everywhere while I'm steadily windling away at, at, your, at your library. Well, I was playing uh, at a place called uh, the Round Table. Uh, here in town. It, it's not here anymore, uh, but uh, it was a place where, where kids could go, you know, at uh, like 3 in the morning and play magic until 5. Um, they, they, it, it was this uh, business in the front, and then in the back, uh, they had this big, wide-open, like, garage-type thing, had all these long tables 
set out and magic paraphernalia all over the place, and you could sit there and play cards with your friends and stuff like that. And they they sold food and drinks and and whatever else. And and I'm sitting there and I'm playing cards with my buddies, and uh, you see this guy just kind of walking around, surveying the. Uh, the, the playing area, he's watching some people play games here, he's watching some people play games there. And me and my friends are sitting there, you know, doing our own thing, playing our own games, having a good time and stuff like that, smoking cigarettes and, and all that jazz. And uh, he ventures over to our table. And, he, and, and I was playing my grindstone deck, and I think I had either won or lost that game, I can't remember. But uh, either way, uh, he looks at me, and he looks at that deck and he says, I can beat that. I said, oh. I said, okay. He says, yeah, uh, I don't have my decks with me right now, but uh, I can go get some cards out of my car and I can build a deck and I can beat you. I said, okay, go ahead. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, he walks out to his car, comes back with this uh, long box of cards. He sits down and we start talking for a little bit, you know, getting to know each other and stuff like that. And I'm reseeding my deck and I, I shuffle it and he sits there and he puts together this this deck of cards and you know take takes about like 10, 10 minutes for him to do it and uh i shuffle i hand it to him to cut i cut his you know and the game starts and i'm sitting there and i get all my cards out and i i start to do grindstone get peacekeeper out shut the shut the whole game down and, and i win i win the first game and uh you know he looks at me and he's like that that was that was just a fluke that was a fluke. Let's do it again. He said, I'll beat you this time. I said, okay. And uh, he, he took the deck apart, put some other cards in it and stuff like that, and we shuffled, we cut, and handed it back to him and played the second game. And uh, same process, same thing. Went through, started windling his deck down and stuff like that, beat him again. And he's sitting there, and you could tell he's getting mad. And, uh, and he says, okay. I'm going to go out into my car, and I'm going to get my deck, and I'm going to beat you. I said, I thought you didn't have your cards. He goes, well, I got one in my car. And I'm like, okay. And he goes out, and he gets his deck. He comes back, shuffle play. Uh, halfway through the game, I got half his library gone. I got Peacekeeper out. I got Ivory Mask out and stuff like that. He gets pissed, takes his cards, and leaves. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Love it. Love it. But, but that goes into... Uh, like how magic is now. I mean, like with the way magic is, uh, they've got sets coming out every three months, I think, or every every yeah. every two months even. Really? I mean, I don't know. It was every. I want to say it was every three because every block was a year. Yeah, it's it's getting a little ridiculous though. You you barely have enough time to get into one before another comes out, and. It, it seems like the only way that you could have access to the good cards is either through trade or through the secondary market. And the secondary market gets expensive because during that block, those cards are pricey. Oh, yeah. I mean, like the, one of the Planeswalkers, uh, Jace, uh, his card is, is still like $80. And that's ridiculous. But uh, but but you know that that falls in line with the secondary market for comic books too. Whatever's trending at the moment, you know, is, is worth the most. And you have those cards like the Power Nine and some of the older cards that kind of settle into a groove and stuff like that. But 
I don't know. Uh, bef- before we started the podcast today, uh, I had uh, the Pro Tour on in the background. I was watching the Grand Prix in Richmond. Uh, and those guys, my God, they, they move so quick. I think they're really jacked up on Red Bull. Um, but uh, they they can't sit still. They're they're shuffling their cards. Look at the cards. Shuffle the cards. Look at the cards. Shuffle the cards. Look at the cards. Draw the cards. Shuffle the cards. Look at the cards. Oh my God! It's, and then I mean, there's it's such an intense situation though, because it's not like they're just sitting around the at the comic shop playing cards or you know no, sitting in your buddy's basement. Real. Yeah, they're playing <laughs> for a million dollars. Yeah, these these are professional dudes, and I was watching the the qualifier yesterday. And the quarterfinals today, the, me and my buddy Nick, uh, we he came over uh, yesterday and uh, we played cards for, for like three hours and uh, then sat for, for about two hours and watched the qualifiers. We were sitting there watching these guys play this game and uh, they, they were showing cards that we knew what they were, and then all of a sudden the game's over. And, and the commentators are like, oh, my God, this was so epic. I can't believe this happened in this game of magic, that hand, that card, that draw. And we're like, what in the hell just took place? Yeah, because, I mean, <laughs> they're shaking hands. They're, so, yeah, they're they, shaking they, hands. They know everything about on. the game. They're so into this that they just... <laughs> I love magic. I... I I spend money I'm not supposed to spend on cards, but uh, I could never compete against these guys. No. These guys were, whew, they were all about it. I There's this one uh, uh, Thermogoyf deck. I, nobody knows what a Thermogoyf is. I don't even know what it is. But by God, I looked the card up. It's a $179 card, and this guy was playing a deck filled with them. Crazy. But... But, you know, uh, that kind of takes us to, to the recap. Collectible card games are, are ingrained as, as much of a part of, of geek culture as comic books and, and role-playing and video games and stuff like that. You have your own little niches, your own little groups of people that love to do, but uh, but I think it's all-encompassing, you know? Yeah. When when we when we played growing up, like we lived in a small town, and at least once a week we'd all either go to somebody's house or we would go to McDonald's and play cards. Yes, and we would sit there just all day on Saturday and play cards. <laughs> and I yeah. mean, that I mean that was just that's how I spent most of my weekends growing up was doing that. Seeing that it's every Thursday night for me. Every Thursday night, about seven o'clock. I have all my buddies come over. It's about nine of us all together. And uh, we sit and play cards uh, from about 7 until 12, 1 o'clock in the morning. Uh, and then if we're feeling froggy, we'll role play uh, for two or three hours after that. Uh, otherwise, yeah, otherwise it's a full night of cards. And and that goes into you know like how much I love collectible card games. I'm in the process of creating one of my own. Um, it's a game called Dragons and Warriors, and it it's uh it, it stems all the way back from uh, when me and my brother uh, were kids. You know, just playing Magic for the first time, and we had nothing better to do one day. Uh, we wanted to role play. We wanted to play Dungeons and Dragons. 
but we didn't have the books. We didn't have the dice. All we had was paper and pencil. So my brother Joe came up with this innovative idea to to create a character sheet and to draw a map uh, that only the storyteller could see, and, and we would commence to role play from there. We we turned Dragons and Warriors into a RPG game that all of our friends fell in love with, and we created like like five different sets to it over the course of a year, just just blasting this stuff out. And fast forward like 15 years, uh, and I'm sitting with with my friend Nick, who I had over the other day, and I started talking about Dragons and Warriors, and uh, we both come up with the idea of turning it into a card game. Uh, well, over the course of, of the past couple of years, uh, you know, it was just little bits and pieces here, and, and last year uh, is when I really started to get into it. I, I created a set of 280 cards uh, that are all unique, all individual, and uh, we created a system uh, that uh, is very unique on its own. Uh, it's it's comparable in Magic only to the fact that it's a collectible card game and it's turn-based. Beyond that, it really is its own machine. It's its, its own individual thing. And we, we have our own payment system. We have our own different types of cards, like we use mines that produce gold, silver, copper, and platinum. And then you are this lord uh, that controls a tower, which is your deck of cards. And you have a training ground where your new characters come into play. And you have an area in the front called home defense where you protect your tower. Uh, you march characters to attack or to do special abilities, and you get weapons and armor and items. And then there's scrolls for our magic, and there's events that take place and destinations that you can go to. And it's it's elaborate in its simplicity. And we've been playtesting it for the past two months, and we've almost got it fine-tuned. I'm hoping to have Kickstarter ready to go uh, mid-2015. Nice. Yeah. All I need is artwork. <laughs> so any any artists out there that want to contribute work to the Dragons and Warriors card game, I have no money. I'm broke as a joke, but uh, we can work something out. <laughs> <laughs> And with that, I think uh, we have overstayed our welcome. Oh, yeah. We're, we're working on it. <laughs> yeah. But, okay, so we're at the end of the podcast. Don't forget, guys, to hit us up on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash stash my comics. Go ahead and interact with us there. Let us know what you like. Let us know what you don't like. Pros, cons, you name it. We want to hear it. Don't forget to hit us up on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash stash my comics. We update that every day too. Uh, also, we got the new posts on the blog. We've got the review of uh, Headspace number one, crowdfunding flash for Wolf and Man. Uh, last week's podcast is still on there. Great show to check out. You got the review of Quantum and Woody Goat number zero, which Valiant uh, endorsed what you said about it. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. I'm basically famous. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. In the Twitter sphere, Leo is number one. 
<laughs> number one. You need to check this out. That's right. Uh, don't forget also the, the review of Dave number three. Highly recommended. You need to check out. Uh, plus, don't forget to check out some of the other articles before they're gone. Uh, the crowdfunding flash for Tangled Weeds, that'll probably be finished pretty soon, so hit it up before you can. Uh, the thoughts on the Guardians of the Galaxy trailer, and so much more. Leo, do you have anything else to add? That's about it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we will see you next week.